That reading I gave was from Matthew chapter 8, and that's what I'm going to speak from now. If you want to find it in the Bibles, it's on page 972. Most of you um, will know. Uh, before I came to St. Giles, I was um, in the Philippines. I was a minister over there. I was there for um, four years, just under four years. And during my time there, I met one of the most interesting uh, people I've ever met, somebody with a, a fascinating uh, life story. Um, his name was Hugh. He's a bit older than me. He's uh, sort of in his late 50s. And um, he left school when he was 16 with no uh, qualifications at all. Completely uh, failed his exams, not done well, and, and left school. And then um, he'd had a variety of jobs throughout his life, um, kind of uh, labouring jobs, moved from place to place to place, just doing uh, whatever work he could find, never being able to settle, always being quite restless, never being able to find uh, the thing that worked for him. Uh, he became a Christian as a young man. And that was his first of what you could call three conversions. The first one was he became a Christian. One of the jobs uh, that he was doing, or doing later in life, when he, I think he was in his uh, early 40s, was he was a shepherd. And he would walk the Yorkshire Dales, uh, rounding up the sheep, had a, had a small living on a farm, looking after the sheep uh, for the farmer. And his second conversion came one day as he was walking the hills in the rain, And he had the sense that God said to him, I want you to become a doctor. Bounced around loads of different jobs, terrible CV, no qualifications. I want you to become a doctor. So he went to night school, got his GCSEs, did his A-levels, did a degree through the Open University, trained, did all the sort of stuff that you need to do, and eventually qualified as a skin doctor. And he felt a call to go and work uh, with people with leprosy. And he got a job with the American uh, Leprosy Mission. And that was how he found himself out in the Philippines, uh, based where I lived in the middle of uh, the Philippines, responsible for the work of uh, the American Leprosy Mission in Southeast Asia, uh, Myanmar, Laos, uh, Thailand, and Nepal. And it was while he was working in Nepal that he had his uh, third conversion, He had an encounter that was to radically shape the work of the leprosy mission across that region. He was leading a clinic in a remote uh, village, and a family uh, brought their young teenage daughter to meet him, a girl of about 13. They knew he was a skin doctor, and they asked him to have a look at her hand. And she had a small white spot just between her thumb and her forefinger. And he did some examinations. He asked her if he could feel anything. When he pressed the spot, she couldn't, she couldn't feel anything. And he told them the news that this family were, were fearing, were dreading, which was she had very, 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 very early onset of a form of leprosy. As you can imagine, the family were devastated. The, the girl didn't really understand what was happening, but the, the father was, was pulling his clothes, he was beating his fist on the floor, he was, he was crying out. Uh, the mother just dissolved into tears. This would mean the end of their daughter's life. This would mean the end of their family life. She would be sent away from the village. She would go and live somewhere else where other people with leprosy live. They, they would not see her again. 
Uh, it meant that she would never marry, she would not have children, uh, her life would be over. The family would be shamed because they'd had a, a child with leprosy. Uh, she, she wouldn't marry, which would mean they wouldn't have grandchildren, their line would end. My friend Hugh said, it doesn't need to be like that. It doesn't need to be, we can manage this, we can treat this, we've got medicines that we can use, we can show you techniques, self-help that that you can do. She can have a a good, a full, a fruitful life in your family. There's no reason why she cannot marry. There's no reason why this uh, need get any worse. We can can look after this. We can can sort her out. We can work with you and other people in the village to, to help her have a full and happy life. But the shame for the mother and the father, the shame for the village was too great, and she was sent away. And that led to Hugh's third conversion. First was to become a Christian. Second was to become a doctor working leprosy. Third conversion was to reorientate the work of the leprosy mission in Southeast Asia from being purely medical to being educational. To work not just with the people who suffered from leprosy, but with their families and their communities. To change the the thinking about the disease. To change the thinking about the people who uh, struggle with uh, this situation. To take away the shame and the stigma and the guilt of having a skin disease. He was converted from realizing that what she needed was just healing or curing but realizing she needed healing and curing, but she also needed help to reintegrate back into society. Jesus knew this for himself. There is a crowd. A leper comes out of the crowd. I'm sure he had more than just a a spot on his thumb. Uh, Everybody around can see what has happened. In Jesus' day, the lepers too would be sent away. There was no medical help. There was no uh, uh, techniques that could be used. There was no guidance given to how you would live uh, with this affliction. You would just be sent away to fend for yourself. They'd form small communities living in deserted, desolate places where they would try and support one another. And in every other encounter in the Gospels where we read of Jesus meeting lepers, they come as a group. On one occasion, ten come together. But this leper, this leper, he comes alone. He doesn't even have the company of others who share in his suffering. One scholar looking at this passage says this, He is a solitary figure, a walking tragedy, the epitome of human suffering. So the epitome of human suffering comes before Jesus, and what does he do? He kneels, and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The word kneels there has a resonance that we don't, we don't catch in the English, but in the Greek it means to kneel reverently, to kneel as though you're in a church or a, or a great cathedral, to kneel in worship. And the word Lord there is, is kind of an unusual word today. We don't use it very often. But in, in Jesus' day, it had, again, a particular reverence, a particular significance. It was how uh, the God of creation in the Old Testament was described, the Lord Almighty. So he kneels in reverence, he kneels in worship. 
He calls Jesus his Lord and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the untouchable and says, I am willing. And we read that the leper is cleansed. This story is told in Mark's gospel. It's told in Luke's gospel. In Luke's gospel, we're given a little bit more information. Luke tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion and then reached out his hand and touched the leper. So what? So what? I mean, an interesting story, a side note in history, but so what? The story of a carpenter born 2,000 years ago, encountering somebody with a, a terrible disease. So what? Well, it, it all depends on who you think Jesus is, doesn't it? If Jesus is just a carpenter from 2,000 years ago, then, then so what? But if Jesus is more than that, then this story means everything. In Luke's Gospel, there's another story that goes side by side with Jesus meeting the leper, and that's Jesus meeting Simon Peter, who had gone to be the leader of his disciples. Again, Jesus is teaching. Again, there is a big crowd. It's by the side of the lake. Uh, Jesus commandeers uh, Peter's boat. He says, let me go in your boat. They row the fishing boat out into the lake. Jesus preaches to the crowd. They can all hear him. Then they all go away. And then uh, 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 there's just Jesus and the disciples left, who would become his disciples, left fishermen, left on the boat. And Jesus tells them to put out a little further in the water to lower their nets and to then draw their nets in. And, and Peter argues with Jesus. He says, well, why, why, should I, why should I do this? We're fishermen. We've been fishing all night. We've not caught anything. Why should we follow you? But then they think, well, we've got nothing to lose. So they got a little bit further in the boat, empty their nets over the side, pull them back in, and we're told that there's a, a huge catch of fish. So great that as they pulled the nets in, they were worried that the nets were going to break. There was that many fish in there. And then Peter has a moment of revelation. Peter has a moment of realisation. This tough and hardy fisherman realises that Jesus is not just a carpenter. That Jesus is not just an inspiring teacher who the crowds come and listen to. And Peter says this, Leave me, for I am a sinful man. I am unclean. That same kind of phrase, I'm, I'm unclean. The leper said, you can make me clean. And Jesus replies to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men as you've caught fish. And as I say, Peter will go on to be a leader in the church. Peter realized there was more to Jesus than he was just a carpenter. The man with leprosy knew there was more than Jesus, than he was just a prophet from Nazareth. That's why he knelt before him. 
And in his presence, they both realize that for different reasons, they need cleansing, they need healing. What does it matter? Well, it matters depending on who you think Jesus is. This is who the church thinks Jesus is. This is the confession of the early church from uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If this is true, if this is who Jesus is, then these stories matter enormously. If Jesus is the image of the invisible God, if Jesus is the one in whom God dwells fully, if Jesus was before all things, if Jesus is the one in whom all things hold together, then these stories tell us who Jesus is, and they tell us who God is, and they tell us what God is like. And they tell us how God responds to the epitome of human suffering. How God responds to those who are broken, to those who need healing, to those who are ostracized, who are on the outside, to those who have a sense that they are unclean. Francis uh, Spufford is a... uh, what he describes himself as an unlikely Christian. He's a, as a journalist, a writer, he's not a preacher, he's not a, a church person, a church man, uh, but he's a Christian, became a Christian, and uh, he wrote a book about his, a bit about his sort of journey to faith, really. And the book has got one of the best titles I've ever seen for a Christian book. It's called this. Unapologetic. Why, despite everything... Christianity can still make surprising emotional sense. Why, despite everything, Christianity can still make surprising emotional sense. And he writes this about Jesus. He is never disgusted. He never says that anything, anyone is too dirty to be touched, that anyone is too lost to be found. Even in situations where there seem to be no grounds for human hope, he will not agree that hope is beyond recall. Wreckage may be written into the logic of the world, but he will not agree that that is all there is. Jesus says, More can be mended than you fear. Far more can be mended than you know. Um, Spufford also has one of the best definitions of sin that I've, uh, I've ever read. Um, in our baptism liturgy, we say, I turn from sin. Some of you might be wondering, what exactly does that mean? Well, this is Spufford's definition. He says that sin 
is the human propensity to mess things up. Except he doesn't use the word mess. He uses a word that I can't use this morning. (laughs) The human propensity to mess things up. How does God respond when we mess up? How does God respond in our lives when we mess up, when other people mess up, in small ways or spectacularly? Well, how does Jesus respond? He shows compassion. He shows mercy. He shows healing. And he shows cleansing. Um, This year, uh, many of our children will have been doing GCSEs. I had the um, privilege of uh, helping my son um, batter his way through English, which was a challenge for both of us. Brought me back to my own kind of experience of doing GCSE English Lit, which I kind of, I hated. It was kind of a new form of torture, really. Uh, But I do remember some of it, and some of those memories uh, came back. And in particular, I remember one of my teachers, uh, a man called Mr. Lay, um, who was blind. And he worked in, I went to just a a normal regular comp. So imagine being a a blind English teacher um, in a rough-and-ready comprehensive school, teaching 30 kids who don't really want to do English uh, Shakespeare. Um, It was a challenge for him. Uh, but he was an incredibly charismatic guy, and it was his, his charisma that held uh, the class together. And we did Macbeth with him. And I remember him telling the story of Lady Macbeth. If you, if you don't know the story, don't know the play, uh, she's this kind of devious manipulator, and she manipulates her husband, who is Macbeth, to kill the king, uh, who is Duncan. She sets, sets events in motion. Uh, she gives, gives uh, Duncan's... Um, uh, servants drugged wine, so they fall asleep. She prepares daggers. She kind of uh, bullies her husband, Macbeth, into going into Duncan's bedroom, uh, stabbing him to death. And she takes the daggers, and she, um, uh, she puts blood all over, all over the servants, so it looks like they did it, and then uh, they escape. I remember Mr. Lay acting out this in our, in our English lesson. And uh, it was quite spectacular, as I say, because he was blind. And uh, then I remember him sort of doing the consequences, what happened next. And, our, and our, our English lesson, for some weird timetabling reason, used to take place in the chemistry lab. And we had, uh, we had those big, deep sinks that you get in school chemistry labs. And I remember him uh, uh, pouring, turning the tap on, big tap, water pouring into the big sink, and he, and he doing a Lady Macbeth impression as later in the place, she's sleepwalking, and she's consumed by guilt of what she's done, and she's trying to wash the blood off her hands. And she washes her hands, and she says, out damn spot, out damn spot. And she cannot get rid of the spot on her hand. And she is destroyed by grief and guilt. Shakespeare is a keen observer of human nature. He knew that actions have consequences. He knew that we all share the same human propensity to mess things up. That we all at times feel a sense of guilt and shame. Where do we go with that? How does God deal with that? Where do we go when we need healing? and cleansing, 
and a new start. Macbeth is just a story. But Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, they're more than just stories. They're eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. They tell us how Jesus reacted to people who were in distress. People in the the case of the leper, the epitome of human suffering, in deep, deep distress. Turned away by everybody else, shunned by everybody else, pushed away by everybody else. If you can make me clean, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing. Peter realizes who Jesus is. Away from me, for I am unclean. And Jesus says, I tell you, you will follow me and you will do great things with me. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The God who is real yet unseen. And that God offers healing and cleansing and forgiveness and a new start to any and all who would turn to him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Only Father, we thank you for the grace shown us in our Lord Jesus Christ. His life lived, his rising from the dead, his ascending to you. The sign and the symbol that death has been defeated. And that your love is unconquerable. And Lord, we come to you this morning, and we, we all of us have done things wrong. We all share that propensity to mess up. We all, in different ways, need healing and cleansing and forgiveness. We all need a new start. And so, Lord, we pray that you show each one of us what we need to do to come before you, uh, to kneel before you, how to call you Lord that we would receive your healing and your forgiveness and your grace and your cleansing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Band want to come back up. We're going to sing our closing song.